Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arana Chalaramanaya uh, Namaskaram. <clears throat> um, last time I was um, I was discussing um, uh, verse two of Anma Vide. I hadn't completed my discussion, so I will continue from where I left off last time. Oh, before I continue, can I just say uh, one thing? Any if anyone watching on um, watching this on YouTube, if you have any questions you would like to ask, please feel free to write your questions in um, in the chat box, and they will then be relayed to me. And uh, towards the end of the meeting, I can answer any questions that any of you may like to ask. Um, so, as I as I was saying. Um, I was uh, part way through explaining uh, the second verse of Anma Vide. Um, but what Bhagavan says in this verse is since the thought, this, the body composed of flesh, itself is I, alone is the one thread on which the various thoughts are strung. If one goes within investigating thus, what is the place from which I spread out? Thought ceasing in the cave, meaning in the cave of the heart, Atmanyana, pure self-awareness, alone will shine spontaneously as I am I. This alone is Mona, the one space, the abode of bliss. And then comes the, the Pallavi, the refrain for this song, that comes at the end of every verse. Aye ati solapum, anma videi aye ati solapum. That means are extremely easy. Apma vidya are extremely easy. <clears throat> so what I explained last time is firstly that ego, the thought that is aware of itself as I am this body, is the one thread on which all other thoughts are strung. Therefore, if we go within investigating the source from which we've spread out, uh, ego and all other thoughts will cease. That is, the nature of ego is to subside to the extent to which we investigate. So if we turn our attention within to see from where this ego rises, where, from where it spreads out as all this multiplicity, um, e ego will thereby subside and everything else will subside along with it. Um, will cease uh, along with it. And then I discuss what Bhagavan explains on, on, in this regard in Uludu Napadu verse 25. That is, the nature of our self as ego is to rise, stand and flourish to the extent to which we attend to anything other than ourself, but to subside and dissolve back, back within to the extent to which we attend to ourselves alone. Um, this, this, that's not. Uh, that's a paraphrase of that. The gist of what Bhagavan is teaching us in in verse twenty five of Uludunaktu. So, since such is the nature of ego, the only way we can free ourselves from ego is by attending to ourselves. To the extent to which we attend to ourselves, we as ego subside, and when we subside, the underlying reality alone remain shining. That is our own being, our own existence, what we actually are. Um, 
So when ego and all other thoughts cease as a result of our going within, investigating the source from which we have spread out, <clears throat> Atmanyana, Atmanyana means uh, uh, pure self-awareness, will shine spontaneously as I am I. That is, till now we've been aware of ourselves as I am this or I am that, I am this body. But when we know ourselves as we actually are, we will know ourselves as I am I. I am nothing other than I. I'm nothing other than myself. That is what we always actually are, but we will recognize that only to the extent to which we turn our attention within. And then I went on to explain that our real identity is not either I am this or I am that, but only I am I. So those statements such as I am Brahman are useful as preliminary teachings. The ultimate teaching about our real identity is just I am I. Why teaching such as Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, why these are important at first is that we start on this spiritual path looking for something outside ourselves, looking for God or Brahman or knowledge or happiness or whatever, we're looking for it outside ourselves. So the Upanishads tell us, Tatvamasi, you yourself for that. In other words, there's, there's no Brahman or God other than yourself. So if we want to know God or to know Brahman, all we need to do is to know ourselves as we actually are. So the aim of the Mahavakyas, such as Tatvamasi and Aham Brahmasmi, the aim of these Mahavakyas is to turn our attention back towards ourselves. So they're very necessary as preliminary teachings. But the ultimate teaching about our real identity is that not that we are God or we are Brahman, but just I am I. That is when, since God or Brahman is that which is shining in within us as I am I, when we know ourselves as we actually are, we won't know ourselves as I am God or I am Brahman or I am Shiva, Shivaham. We will know ourselves just as Ahamaham. I am I. I'm nothing other than I. Um, uh, uh, not only is I am I the ultimate teaching about our real identity, but it is almost also the most practical teaching because to keep our attention fixed firmly on ourselves, which is the aim of all these Mahavakyas, to turn our attention back towards ourselves and then to keep it fixed there, uh, in order to do so, in order to keep our attention firmly fixed on ourselves alone, we should not think that we are anything other than I. That is, if we are thinking I am Brahman, our attention is getting switched between I and some idea that we have about Brahman. We, until we know what we actually are, we cannot know what Brahman actually is. So for us, Brahman is just an idea. So if we're thinking I am Brahman, we're identifying ourselves with some idea. That is not the way to know ourselves as we actually are. To know ourselves as we actually are, we need to look deep within to see what we actually are. When we see what we actually are, we will see I am I. And that which is aware of itself as I am I, that is Brahman, that is God. Um, so God or Brahman is what shines eternally in our heart as I am I. So when we are aware of ourselves as we actually are, we will not be aware of ourselves as I am Brahman or I am God, but only as I am I. Um, 
when we investigate I am, the source from which we've risen as ego, ego will die, and what will then shine forth as I am I is our real nature, which is the one substance, poral, the infinite whole, purna. <clears throat> and then I went on to explain that the clear recognition, I am I, is both the path and the goal. Because the deeper we go in the practice of self-investigation, the more clearly we uh, the more clearly we recognize that we are nothing other than I. And when this recognition becomes perfectly clear, that awareness of our self, that is awareness of ourself as we actually are. So it was up to this point that I had explained last time. So I will continue from here now. Um, uh, the, <clears throat> the fact that when, when Bhagavan talks about I am I, he's not only referring to the, our real nature, the ultimate goal, but also the means to, uh, 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 to attain that is made clear in a number of places. One place where Bhagavan makes this very clear is in the first subsection of the first section of Vichara Sangraham. Um, before I, uh, I read the meaning of this section, I will just say one thing about Vichara Sangraham, which is important to bear in mind. Vichara Sangraham is a work that, that, that is the original um, notes that were taken, but later became, were, were later edited into Vichara Sangraham, were taken, those notes were made by Gambriam Seishya, who came to Bhagavan at about the same time as Shiva Fashion Palai, in other words, in the uh, early years of the 20th century, around 1900, 1901, 1902. But where is Shiva Prakashan Palai, for whom Bhagavan gave the work uh, Nana, where Shiva, where Shiva Prakashan Palai came to Bhagavan with one clear aim in mind, that the first question he asked Bhagavan was, Swami, who am I? So he was a, he was a disciple who was, sorry, who was perfectly attuned to the, um, to his, he was, that is, even before coming to Bhagavan, he was already perfectly attuned to the teachings for which Bhagavan had, had come to give the world. So, um, that is, when he came to Bhagavan and asked, who am I? He didn't know at that time, but that was the very purpose for which Arunachala Shiva had himself appeared in human form as Bhagavan Ramana in order to teach us this uh, path of investigating who am I. So Shiva Prakashan Palai was a disciple perfectly attuned to Bhagavan. So all the questions he asked Bhagavan were very relevant to uh, the core of what Bhagavan had come to give us, to teach the world. That is why that work, Nana, is such an important work. In contrast, Bichara Sangraham was, um, was, uh, came into existence because of a devotee called Gambiram Seishya. Gambiram Seishya was an older man. He had um, he had read many books on Vedanta and yoga and so on, mostly in English. And um, among the books he had read 
were various books by um by Vivekananda, Vivekananda's uh, books on the four yogas, uh, Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, uh, Raja Yoga, and Jnana Yoga. He had read these books and he had read various other books, mostly in English. Um, in those days, in the early day, early years of, uh, um, of the 20th century, all these books by Vivekananda were hot off the press, as it were. That is, it was only in the 1890s, in the previous decade, but um, Vivekananda had written these books. So anyway, Gumbaram Seshya had read these and various other books, but he wasn't able to understand all that he had read in such books. So he came to Bhagavan with these books and asked Bhagavan to explain to him certain passages that he couldn't understand. So Bhagavan then explained, some of his explanations may have been in orally, but in those days Bhagavan wasn't explaining much. So some of his explanations may also have been uh, either written in the sand or on a slate, as, as is the case with many of the answers Bhagavan gave to Shiv Prakashan play. Um, but anyway, Gambaram Seshia kept a note of whatever Bhagavan replied. So a lot of what Gambaram Seshia gathered was Bhagavan's was summaries that Bhagavan had given in Tamil of what was written in the books of Vivekananda and other books on yoga and Vedanta um, about these subjects. So most of Vichara Sangram is not the original teachings of Bhagavan. But um, in addition to paraphrasing some of those, uh, what was written in some of those books, um, it's simple, uh, that you're presenting them in a way that Gumbram Seshya could understand, Bhagavan also added clarifications of his own. So Vichara Sangraham, I would say just a, a, a rough estimate, about 10% of Vichara Sangraham is the pure teachings of Bhagavan, the original teachings of Bhagavan. 90% is a, a paraphrase or summary by Bhagavan in Tamil of passages that Gumbram Sesha had difficulty in understanding in English books by Vivekananda and others. Um, and there may also have been some Theosophical Society books and so on, because in those days the Theosophical Society was also publishing books on yoga and Vedanta and so on. So anyway, Vichara Sangram is a bit of a mixed um, bag, but certain portions of Vichara Sangram are the pure teachings of Bhagavan. And this, uh, that is the, the portion of Vichara Sangram, which is the purest teaching of Bhagavan, is this first subsection of section one. So this is a very important passage. Um, I, I won't read the Tamil, I'll just read the, the meaning in English and explain it. What Bhagavan says here is, for all sentient beings, one, aware, one awareness naturally appears as I in all matters, such as I went, I came, I remained, I did, does it not? If one considers why that is, since activities such as go as going do not exist separately, but only in association with a body, it appears to be saying, does it not, that the body itself that the body itself is I. 
since the body did not exist before being born, uh, since it is composed of the five elements, since it does not exist in sleep, and since it will depart as a corpse, is it appropriate to speak of it as the awareness I? It is not appropriate. The awareness that rises as I, referring to the body in this way, being intermediate, um, alone is what is called um, variously as tat bodum, um, uh, uh, ahankaram, um, avidya, maya, uh, malam, and jiva. This, this sentence requires a little bit of explanation. When, when he said there are awareness that rises as I referring to the body, that means the, the awareness of ourself as I am this body. That, that is what is implied there. Uh, and when he says it is uh, being intermediate, the term he uses for intermediate is avantaramai. Avantara means what is intermediate or comes in between. So when Bhagavan says ego is intermediate, what he means is, it, firstly, it appears as a link between uh, real awareness and the body. That is, the pure awareness that we actually are has no connection with the body at all. Though it is the underlying reality of the body and of everything else, it has no connection. That is, in the view of pure awareness, there is no body or world or anything. So the link between that pure awareness, that real awareness that we actually are, and the body, and hence all other things, is only ego. So that's, uh, that's what he means by saying it's intermediate. Um, it, and it, it is a link because it is distinct, as Bhagavan explains in verse 24 of Uludhunaktu, ego is neither the body, which is jada, and therefore is not aware of itself as I, nor is it satchit. Satchit means the, the pure existence awareness, what we actually are, because uh, satchit doesn't rise. Satchit always remains as it is. It doesn't undergo any change. But between these two, one thing, I, rises as the extent of the body. So when he says it in bet it's between these two, he's indicating it's neither the body nor is it satchit, but it's something that rises uh, borrowing the properties of both. It borrows its form from the body. It borrows its substance, its uh, aware existence and awareness from satchit. So it is neither, but it, it poses as both. So this is what Bhagavan means by saying it's intermediate, because it, uh, it, it, it appears between the real awareness and the body. It is distinct from both, but it partakes of the nature of each of them. So that avantaramai is a very significant word in this context. So he said this, this false awareness that rises as I am this body, being intermediate, alone is what is called variously as tatbodham. Tatbodham is a term that literally means awareness of that, but that is often used in the sense of egotism, which is awareness of ourselves as a particular thing, distinct from all other things. 
So Tatbodum here is it, it, it's a word often used in Tamil philosophical literature to refer to ego or egotism. Uh, so he says it's called variously Tatbodum, Ahankaram, Ahankaram means ego, Avidya, ignorance, Maya, the power of, uh, of self-deception or delusion, namely the mind, Malam, impurity, and Jiva, soul. So Bhagavan clarifies here that what is called Avidya or ignorance and Maya is nothing but ego itself. That is, Avidya means ignorance, but we are never actually ignorant of our real nature, because our real nature is the pure awareness I am. We are always aware I am. But when we, in sleep, we are aware only I am. In waking and dream, when we rise as ego, we are aware of ourselves as I am, but we're not aware of ourselves as just I am. We're aware of ourselves as I am this body, I am this person. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> So that ego is a false awareness of ourself. It's not that we are actually ignorant of ourselves. We know I am. We know that we are, but we don't know what we are because a false identity has been superimposed upon our existence. What we actually are is just our existence, I am. But we take ourselves to be something other than that because of this false identity. So what is called ignorance is nothing but ego, this false awareness I am this body. And ego itself is Maya. That is, Maya is said to have two forces, um, the Avarana Shakti, the veiling power, and the Vikshepa, the, the, um, the uh, dissipating or dispersing power. But as the false awareness I am this body, Ego is the power of veiling, because we, by, by taking ourselves to be a body, we veil our true nature. Our true nature is just the pure I am, but now we don't experience ourselves as, we experience ourselves as I am, but not just as I am, we experience ourselves as I am this body. That is what is called our varana. So ego is the power of our varana, or veiling. Vikshepa, means um, means uh, scattering or dispersing. So as soon as we take ourselves to be a body, our attention goes outwards and we project all this multiplicity. So since all this multiplicity exists only in the view of ourself as ego, all this is the dream of ourself as ego. So it is ego who has projected all this. So ego is both the Avarana Shakti and the Vikshepa Shakti. So there's no Maya other than ego. So ego is both Avidya and, um, and Maya. That is why it's called Malam. Malam means impurity. And it's also what is called Jiva. Um, in, in, in classical Advaita, there were, uh, after Shankara, among the followers of Shankara, the, um, there were several schools of opinion among the followers of Shankara about how to interpret and understand Shankara's works. So since Shankara emphasized very strongly that the root cause of the problem is Avidya, 
um, and avidya means ignorance of our own real nature, among his followers, two major um, schools of among his philosophers was the Bhamati school and the uh, um, uh, what's the other school? Bhamati and um, Avarana, I think it's called. Um, no, no, not. I've forgotten. Sorry, I've forgotten. But anyway, they were of two different opinions. What if there is ignorance? Then what is it that is ignorant? Is it the jiva that is ignorant? One school said, no, it can't be the jiva that is ignorant because ignorance is the cause, and jiva is an effect. So um, uh, ignorance must precede the jiva. Therefore, ignorance the the uh, the locus of ignorance, the asraya of ignorance, must be Brahman. And the other school said, no, Brahman cannot be ignorant. Uh, so ignorance can only be for jiva. Bhagavan very simply solved this problem by pointing out the, the simple fact that jiva and avidya are one and the same. Jiva is ego, the false awareness, I am this body, which is itself avidya. So, uh, um, that, that is, these are very, very simple sentences that Bhagavan is writing here, but actually they're very, very deep in meaning. If we think carefully about what Bhagavan is saying here, it has a very deep meaning and significance. Um, and then Bhagavan goes on to ask, is it proper for us to remain without uh, um, investigating this? That is, investigating this eye. Like this eye that has risen, um referring to the body so is it appropriate when clearly we cannot be this body is it appropriate for us to remain without investigating it that's the implication uh that bhagavan says here and then he goes on to say for investigating that implies for prompting us and encouraging us to investigate this false awareness that rises as i mistaking itself to be a body um uh, so, but that's that's how we have to understand it. But what he actually says is, for investigating, is it not, all sastras or spiritual texts have come into existence and proclaimed that the annihilation of the tatbodham alone is mukti. So, how to investigate? If one asks this, how to investigate? The reply is, does this body, which is jada, non-aware? like a block of wood, come shining and behaving as I. It does not come. In other words, it, 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 doesn't, uh, it, doesn't, uh, it isn't what is aware of itself as I. Therefore, making the corpse body remain as a corpse, and being uh, without uttering I, even by mouth, even by word, by word he, here can mean by speech, uh, either physically or mentally. Um, so I, without uttering the word I, either by pronouncing it verbally or by thinking it, um, in other words, without uttering it even in our mind, if one keenly investigates what is it that now shines as I, then in one's heart a kind of spuripu uh, uh, alone will appear itself to itself without sound as I am I. Uh, this word spuripu, this is a Tamil word, it is derived from the 
um, uh, that is the Tamil verb spuri is derived from the Sanskrit word spur. So this spuripu means the same as sporana in Sanskrit. That is in Sanskrit it's called sporana, which is a, a noun derived from the verb spur. In Tamil, spuripu is, is a, a noun derived from the same verb. So spuripu in this context, spuripu or sporana may have a range of meanings depending on the context. But in the context in which Bhagavan uses this, these terms sporana or spuripu, it means a fresh clarity. That is, um, a, a spur means to shine or become clear. So spuripu or sparana in this context means a fresh clarity. Um, so when he says, then in one's heart, a kind of spuripu or sparana or fresh clarity alone will appear. Um, uh, I think he says, if I remember correctly, tanakutane. Tanakutane means, um, yeah, tanakutane. We can take it to mean itself to itself or oneself to oneself. That is this, what he indicates by saying tanakutane, though it, it appears, it doesn't appear as an object. It's a clarity of, a, a fresh clarity of awareness of ourself. That is, we are always aware of ourselves as I am, but this clarity will, will uh, uh, appear without sound as I am I. I am I means as as awareness of ourself as our as ourself alone so this is the clarity we get to the extent to which we look inwards we begin to recognize though so long as we're looking outwards we seem to be this body we seem to to be limited to this body but when we look within we see that what we actually are is not this body or mind or anything else what we actually are is just i and i alone so what he means by I am I is awareness of ourself as ourself alone. And this awareness is something that that awareness is ourself and it shines to ourself. That's what he means by saying tanakutane, uh, itself to itself or oneself to oneself. And then he goes on to say, without leaving it, um, with, without leaving, abandoning or letting go of it, of that, that refers to the uh, spuripu, the fresh clarity that shines as I am I. If one just is, summa uh, irandal, if one just remains, if one just remains a being, uh, that implies, uh, just remain as we actually are, it, the, the sparana, com will completely annihilate the jiva bodha, the sense of individuality, in the form of ahankara ego, uh, which is called or which is aware of itself as this body is I. And then, like fire that catches on camphor, it will itself be extinguished. This alone is said by sages and sacred texts to be moksha, liberation. So when he uses this analogy of fire catching on camphor, and he says, just like if, when fire catches on camphor, it will continue burning, until the camphor is completely burned, and then the fire, the fire will be extinguished because there's no more fuel to keep it burning. When he uses this analogy, does that mean when he that implies that the the spuripu, the sparana, will subside? But what exactly does he mean by that? 
he doesn't mean that the clarity of awareness will sh will subside. What he means is the newness or freshness of that clarity. That is during the stage of practice when we are looking within and recognizing more and more clearly that what we actually are is I and I alone. That is a fresh and new clarity for us because we're, we're used when looking outwards to be experiencing ourselves as the body. When we begin to recognize ourself as ourself alone, that's a fresh clarity. When, when, if we hold on to that clarity, remain with that clarity of our own being, like a, a fire that catches a piece of camphor, it will continue burning until the camphor is destroyed. Likewise, this sparana will continue um, burning, provided we hold on to it, because he says, if we hold on to it and just be, it will completely annihilate the jiva bodhi in the form of ahankara. When ego is destroyed, just like when the camphor is completely burnt, the, the fire will be extinguished. When ego is completely destroyed, the sparana will be extinguished. What he means when he says the sparana will be extinguished is the newness of that will be extinguished. Not that the clarity will be extinguished, but the clarity will cease to appear what previously appeared as a new and fresh clarity as a, as sparana will be recognized to be sahaja it's it's natural it's we we are always nothing but that clarity of fresh of pure awareness so it will no longer the newness or freshness of it is what will be extinguished so when he talks about the the subsidence or extinguishment of uh, of sparana that is what he's referring to um, so that is that I've explained this passage, but I'll go on to um, I'll go on to talk a bit a little bit more about it um, as I go on because this is a very important paragraph. Um, uh, and uh, so, as he explains here, if we keenly investigate what it is that uh, shines as I, we will experience a spuripu or sparana which is a fresh clarity of self-awareness as I am I. In other words, a fresh clarity of awareness of ourself as ourself alone. And we should then try to hold on to that spuripu without letting go of it. Because if we do so, it will thoroughly annihilate ego, the false awareness, I am this body. Um, so, uh, Um, in this context, some people ask whether he's referring um, whether he's referring to this practice of firmly holding the sparana I am I when he wrote in the fifth paragraph of Nana, Nanan Andrew Karati Kondirandalam Kuda Ab Iditil Kondupoi Vituvidum. Um, that means even if one continues thinking I, I, it will take and leave one in that place, namely the heart or core of oneself, which is the source from which we've risen as ego. Um, but this is what some people suggest. However, there are two problems with this suggestion. Firstly, what he said in this uh, passage of Vichara Sangraham uh, is, Adane vidadu summa irandal, not letting go of that if one just is. 
in which Adonai, uh, that refers to Sparana, the fresh clarity that appears as I am I, when we keenly investigate what it is that shines as I. Vidadu means not leaving, abandoning or letting go of, and Summa Irandal means if one just is, thereby implying that we should just be without rising as ego to do anything. Therefore, what he implies in this clause is that we should attend to this prana so keenly and firmly that we do not allow our attention to be diverted away towards anything else, because attending to anything other than ourself is an action, and hence the very antithesis of just being, Summa Irpadu. So he did not mean that we should merely think I am I, since thinking itself is an action, but that we should attend keenly to the awareness that always shines as I am I. Um, but that we have formally uh, overlooked because until we turn our attention back within to face ourselves alone, uh, we were uh, mistakenly aware of ourselves as I am this body. Moreover, uh, in this same passage, a little bit before that, in the same passage of Chara Sangram, Bhagavan said, uh, making the corpse body remain as a corpse and being without uttering I even by, by word. So uh, since he says not uttering I by word, he, as I explained, he means uttering it either vocally or mentally by word. So he's not talking here just about thinking I am I, but actually holding on to that clarity of awareness that I am I. Um, Secondly, the fact that in this sentence of nana, a comma is generally printed after the first nan, indicates that what he meant by nan nan indru kariti kondilaram dalam kuda, even if one continues, even if one continues thinking I I, what he's talking about is a mental repetition or manasaka japa of I, rather than continuously thinking I am I. However, though a comma has been printed after the first nan in this sentence, since at least as far back as the first edition of Sri Ramana Nuturatu, his Tamil collective, his collective works in Tamil, which was published in 1931, he did not actually write a comma after this first nan, in what is perhaps his original handwritten manuscript of this uh, essay version of Nana, a facsimile copy of which was printed on pages 43 to 47 of the June 1993 issue of the Mountain Path. So there is a possibility that he intended to leave the clause Nan Nan Indru Karati Korindirundalum Kuda open to be interpreted either as even if one continues thinking I, I, or even if one continues thinking I, 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 I am I. That is, that's a possibility. But in either case, what he implied in this sentence is that continuously thinking I, I, or I am I, can be a powerful aid to help us to direct our attention back within to face ourselves and to keep it fixed on ourselves, just as continuously thinking of a name of God can help one to keep one's mind fixed on him. 
that is, since any word generally refers to something, when we think of a word, um, it brings to our mind whatever it refers to. So, for example, the noun mango brings a particular fruit to our mind, and the verb run brings a particular action to our mind. Likewise, since the pronoun I refers to ourself, the, the mere thought of this word I brings our brings ourself to our mind, and it brings our attention back to ourself. So the, the benefit of thinking I, I, or I am I, or I am, I am, um, or is that it can help us turn our attention back to ourself and thereby to become familiar with being self-attentive. In other words, it's this, this clue that Bhagavan gave us in that fifth paragraph of Nana, uh, is, is a very helpful clue, particularly at the early stages of um, self-investigation, because thinking I-I reminds us of our being, and then we just have to hold on to our being. However, once we become familiar with being self-attentive, it is no longer necessary for us to continue thinking such words, and sooner or later, in order to go deep in the practice of being self-attentive, we need to stop thinking anything at all, because though they refer only to ourselves, even such words can become an unnecessary distraction, as he implies in the above passage of Vichara Sangraham by the clause Vakalam Nan Indru Salam um, being without uttering I even by word or speech, whether physically or mentally. That is, it, it means by word or by speech, but we can take it, we, we have to infer that it means not only uttering by verbally, but also uttering mentally. Without uttering the word I at all, either mentally or verbally, we need to just be as we actually are. Um, uh, and that clause uh, occurs in this same sentence. Adalal pinamana pin pinate, um, sorry, pinamana dehate, pinnam polave iriti, vakalam nanendru solamal irindu, ipodu nanendru nanena vilangavadu, edu vendru, kumayai vicharital. Apodu hridiyatil nanan indru sattamilamal, that sattam means subtam without sound, tanakutane ovidaspiripu matram tondram. That means, therefore, making the corpse body remain as a corpse and being without uttering I even by word, if one uh, if one keenly investigates what it is that, is that now shines as I, then in one's heart a kind of spuripu or sparana alone will appear itself to itself or oneself to oneself without sound as I am I. And also uh, by the first clause in, in the first sentence of uh, verse 29 of Uludunapadu, there he says, Nanendru Vayal Nabiladu, Ul Al Manatal, Nanendru Engu Undum, Ena Nadu Tale, Nyana Nariam. That means 
not saying I by mouth, investigating by an inward thinking mind where one rises as I, alone is the path of jnana. Though in these two cases he uses the terms vakalam, even by word, which can also mean even by speech or voice or mouth, and vial, which means by word or, sorry, by mouth or by word or speech or voice, both of which, um, both of which mean by mouth or speech, they also mean by word. So they imply not, on, not, not only uttered by speech, but also uttered by mind. Because in order to sink deep within ourselves, we need to keenly focus our entire attention on ourselves alone and not allow our attention to be distracted, even to the slightest extent, by anything else whatsoever, not even by the word I or the affirmation I am I, whether uttered by speech or by mind. <clears throat> When we recognize that the clear awareness, I am I, is not anything new, but what is eternal and therefore natural, sahaja, that is what he describes as the subsidence, cessation, or extinguishing of sparana. To the extent to which we keenly attend to what shines within us as I, we will thereby experience the fresh clarity of self-awareness, a clear awareness of ourself as ourself alone, but Bhagavan describes as the sporana or spuripu, but as peers or shines forth as I am I. So our aim should be to attend to ourselves more and more keenly and persistently, and thereby not let go of this sporana. This practice of holding the sporana I am I firmly in our heart by calmly and incessantly facing inwards is what he describes me metaphorically in the first two lines of verse 3 of Apalapatu as pounding the ingredients of an apalam. The principal uh, ingredient of this metaphysical apalam being ego, the dehabimana or false identification, I am this body, with a pestle in a stone water. What he says in verse in the, these first two lines of verse three of Aplapatu is um, kal nengel. What he means by kal nengel that means in the stone heart, but that means in the um, in the stone of the heart. Uh, that is, he's using the heart as a, a metaphor for the stone in which um, the ingredients are pounded. Uh, kal nengel. Nanan Indru uh, Kalangamal um, Ul Ul Ulmuka uh, Ulankayal Oyadu Iditu. Um, what he what that means is by the pestle of of, of facing inwards without being agitated, incessantly pounding as I am I in the heartstone. What he implies by this is, by means of the pestle of unmukha, or ulmukha, that means the practice of facing inwards, without being agitated or confused by allowing one's attention to be distracted away from oneself under the sway of one's vishaya vasanas, incessantly pounding ego 
but they have imano, false identification, I am this body, by recognizing oneself as I am I, the fresh uh, degree of clarity, svarana, of self-awareness that shines in one's heart as I am I, that is as awareness of oneself as oneself alone, to the extent that one keenly, calmly, and steadily faces inwards to see who am I, in the heart stone, the, uh, the heart stone means the pure heart or mind that is imbued with steadfast titiksha, endurance, forbearance, or, and patience, which is unshakably firm like a stone mortar. So that's what he implies there. The practice of facing inwards in order to see ourself as ourself alone, I am I, which he compares here to pounding the ingredients of an apalum with a pestle in a stone mortar, is what he compares in the above paragraph of uh, the, the above passage of Vichara Sangraham to allowing a piece of camphor to be burnt and consumed by fire. If fire catches hold of a piece of camphor and is left undisturbed, it will continue burning until it has consumed the camphor completely, whereupon it will itself subside and be extinguished. Likewise, when the fire of Sporana is ignited in our heart by our keenly investigating what it is that shines as I, if we hold on to it without allowing our attention to be distracted away towards anything else, it will continue burning until it has consumed ego entirely along with all its vishayabhasanas. Vishayabhasanas means inclinations to attend to anything other than ourselves. Whereupon it will itself subside and be extinguished. In this passage of Vichara Sangram, after saying, after saying Tanum Shantamai Bidum, it the Sparana will itself be pacified or subside or be extinguished. He begins the next sentence um, saying, Iduve Moksham, this alone is moksha. And likewise, in the sixth section of Vichara Sangraham, he says, Ividas Buripu Adangina Sukshmamana Idame Churiatitam. Um, that means only the subtle place or the subtle state in which this kind of spuripu subsides or ceases is churiatitam. Um, churiatitam means the same as churia, it's the transcendent state called the fourth, which is our natural state or sahajastiti. What exactly does he mean, mean when he says that the Spuripu will cease, subside, or be pacified or extinguished? In what sense will it cease or be extinguished? As I explained earlier, what he means by the term um, uh, Spurana or Spuripu is the fresh clarity of self-awareness which shines forth as I am I that is, as awareness of ourself as ourself alone, when we turn our intention back within towards ourself. The more keenly we attend to ourself, the more clearly the Sparana will shine. And when we attend to ourselves so keenly that we thereby cease to be aware of anything other than ourself, ego will instantly be swallowed by the perfect clarity of pure, pure awareness after which that clarity I am I 
alone will remain shining eternally and without limit as ourself. Therefore, when he says that the Sparana will subside, cease, or be extinguished, he doesn't he does not mean that the clarity will cease, will subside or cease, but only that its newness and freshness will uh, subside and cease. In other words, the clarity of what we actually are, namely I am I, will seem will cease to seem new or something that was not previously clear because it will be clear that it is sahaja, our own real nature, and therefore our eternal and ever undiminished awareness of ourself as ourself. That is, when we know ourselves as we actually are, we will see that the only thing that has ever existed is I. So we cannot ever so we cannot ever have been anything other than that. In other words, I am only I, and I've never been, I, I have never been, and never could be anything other than I. Therefore, though I am I seems at first to be a sporana, a new and fresh clarity of self-awareness, it is actually not a new awareness, but our eternal awareness of ourself as we always actually are. When we recognize this, Namely, the clear, the clear awareness I am I is not anything new, but what is eternal and therefore natural, sahaja. That is what he describes as the subsidence, cessation, pacification, or extinguishing of sparana. Um, therefore, the closest we can come to expressing the ultimate truth about ourselves accurately in words is not to say aham brahmasmi, but only to say aham aham or nan nan, I am I. However, what is important is not the words themselves, but the truth that is conveyed by such words, namely that we are nothing other than ourselves, which is satchit, the fundamental awareness chit of our own existence sat, which is what always shines within us as I am. So Bhagavan also expressed this truth using other words that conveyed the same meaning, such as tane tan, oneself alone is oneself. For example, in the last line, in the last line of the fourth and last verse of Apalapatu, he implies uh, that the purpose of making the metaphorical tanmaya apalam, the apalam uh, composed of that, namely Brahman, is to eat it. And to eat it means tane tan aha bujika. Uh, that means to enjoy or experience as oneself alone is oneself. Likewise, in verse 43 of Sri Aranacha Aksharamlai, he says tane tan, oneself alone is oneself, alone is tatvam, the reality. Uh, what he says in this verse is, Tane tane tatvam, idane tane kartvai arunachala. That means, um, Arunachala, oneself alone, oneself alone is the reality. Show this yourself. Um, so this can be, this, that is this tane tane here, we can interpret two ways. It, ta, tan means oneself. Tane is an intensified form of oneself, so it means oneself alone. So when he says Tane Tane, 
we can either take it to be a repetition for emphasis, oneself alone, oneself alone is the reality. That's one way of interpreting it. Um, uh, reality here means tattva. The tattva is just tane tane, oneself alone, oneself alone. Tane kartvayaranachala, show this yourself. There, Tane refers, it's, he's telling, that's to emphasize the Aranachala, you yourself show this to me, show this to me yourself. Um, may you yourself show this to me. Um, uh, but we can also take Tane Tane to mean, rather than taking it to be a repetition for emphasis, we can also take it to mean Tane Tan, oneself alone is oneself. In other words, I alone am I. That alone is what is real. And may you yourself show this to me. Um, tan means oneself, or depending on the context, myself, yourself, himself, herself, itself. And the suffix a is an intensifier that implies alone, indeed, or itself. So tane means oneself alone. Therefore, the first sentence of this verse, tane tane tatavum, uh, can be interpreted in two ways. It can mean either oneself alone, oneself alone is the reality, in which tane tane is taken to, uh, to be a repetition for emphasis, or we can take it to mean oneself alone is oneself, alone is the reality, in which uh, tane tan, oneself alone is oneself, is taken to be a separate clause that serves as the subject of the sentence. These two interpretations are equally valid and complement each other, because whereas the first just emphasizes that we alone are the sole reality, the second further emphasizes that what we actually are is nothing other than our, uh, other than our self, I alone am I, and implies that awareness of our self as our self alone is the reality, because nothing other than our self actually exists. Uh, clear self-awareness, Atmanyana, which shines forth spontaneously as I am I when all thoughts cease, is Satchitananda. The silence of pure being, the one space of pure awareness, and the abode of infinite happiness. In this second verse of Anmavide, after concluding the first sentence by saying that if we go within investigating ourselves, thought will cease, and in the cave of our heart, Atmanyana, uh, awareness of ourself as ourself alone, uh, alone will awareness of ourself as we actually are, alone will shine spontaneously as I am I. In the second sentence, Bhagavan says, Iduve monum. Ekavaname imbataname, which means this alone is silence, the one space, the abode of bliss. That is Atmanyana, which is awareness of ourself as we actually are, namely as I am I, is our real nature. So it alone will remain when we investigate ourselves so keenly that ego is eradicated and along with it all other thoughts cease forever. Therefore, since nothing other than Atmanyana, the pure awareness I am I, will then exist, it is infinite and eternal silence, the silence of pure being. 
it is also the one space, Ekavanam, because it is the uh, it is uh, one only without a second, Ekam Eva Advitium, and therefore the infinite and empty space of pure awareness. Not only is it monome, the silence of pure being, and ekavaname, the one space of pure awareness. Um, the, the silence of pure being mean, um, implies sat. The space, the one space of pure awareness implies chit, but also the place of pure happiness, ananda. So he concludes this verse by saying, it is imbataname, the place or abode of bliss. Tanam, in the tanam here means uh, is a, a Sanskrit form of the Sanskrit word stanam. So imbataname means the um, the ananda stana, the place of happiness, the abode of happiness. In other words, our real nature, Atmasarupa, which is what shines eternally as I am I, is pure being, awareness, happiness, Satchidananda, which is beginningless, anadi infinite ananta and undivided akanda as he says in verse 28 of upadesha undia um what he says in verse 28 of upadesha undia is tanadu il yadu ena tan teri hill pin anadi ananta uh sat uh akanda chidanandam um what that means is, if one knows what the nature of oneself is, then beginningless, endless, and unbroken existence, awareness, happiness. What that implies is, if we know what the real nature of ourself is, that in other words, if we know ourselves as I am I, then what will remain existing and shining is only anadi, beginningless. Ananta, endless, limitless, or infinite, and Akanda, unbroken, undivided, or unfragmented, Satchidananda, existence, awareness, happiness. In order for us to experience ourselves as beginningless, infinite, and undivided Satchidananda, we just need to know what our real nature actually is. And to know this, all that is required is for us to go deep within ourselves by keenly investigating our fundamental awareness, I am, which is the source from which we have risen and spread out as ego, the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body. Therefore, since nothing can be easier than just being attentively aware of what alone always act, what alone always exists and shines clearly, namely I am, Aye atisulapum, anma videi aye atisulapum. Ah, extremely easy. Apma vidya, ah, extremely easy. Since he emphasizes in the first two verses of this uh, song, anma videi, but in order for us to know ourselves as we actually are, and thereby to experience the infinite happiness that is our own real nature, all thoughts must cease in such a way that they never rise again. And since all thoughts uh, are about uh, things other than ourselves, in the next verse, he points out firstly that there's no real value in knowing anything other than ourselves, particularly when we do not even know what we ourselves actually are. And secondly, that when we do know ourselves as we actually are, nothing else will exist for us to know.
ओम नमो भगवते श्री अरुणाचल रमनाय सो दिस इज द एंड ऑफ माय एक्सप्लेनेशन ऑफ वर्स टू ऑफ आन मिडे अबर एनी क्वेश्चंस बीन आस्ड namoramana sir uh, sir there are a couple of questions uh, that mr sushil motwani has put on the youtube channel yes uh, namoramana michael sir while it is ideal to attend to ourselves as and when possible until the time we reach that stage of attending to the self all the time is there a minimum time frame that one be attending to the self which is like a bare minimum like some other paths talk about dasham ansham 110 that is 2 and 1/2 hours of sadhana also the mind sometimes revolts and doesn't allow self attention what are the other things that bhagwan may have suggested that one can do to subside the thoughts unquote okay that that the good question um bhagavan that is whenever bhagavan taught, gave any indication of how much time we should spend attending to ourselves he always indicated always for example in the 16th paragraph of nana he 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 defines what what he means by the term atma vichara he says um sada kalamum manate atma vil vetirupatukutan atma vicharam indupaya that means the name atma vichara refers only to always uh keeping the mind on oneself so there he emphasizes always sadakalam sadakalam is a strong way in, in tamil extra prefixes at the end sadakalamum that's a very very strong way of saying always um he also in another sentence in the 11th paragraph of nana he says oruvan than sarupam adeyam varil nirantara sarupas marane kaipatruvanayin aduondre podum until one attains swarupa one's own real nature if one holds on to hold firmly holds on to nirantara swarupa smarana nirantara means unceasing incessant and un, un, unbroken uh, swarupa smarana means self remembrance adu andre podum that alone is sufficient so he clearly indicate that what we should be aiming towards is to be constantly self attentive however in practice if we are honest with ourselves i don't think any of us can can uh, can claim to ourselves but we are um uh but we are constantly attending to ourselves because in order to attend to ourselves constantly requires all consuming love we must have more love for knowing and being what we actually are than we have for anything else whatsoever so until we attain such all consuming love we will at least for some of the time come under the sway of our bishaya vasanas and allow our mind to go outwards so what is the minimum that we should attend to ourselves i think a good guideline is our aim should be 
not to be concerned about duration. We, if we are thinking about, oh, I must, um, I must hold on to self-attentiveness for the next 20 minutes or something, we are thinking about time, which is something other than ourselves. So uh, we shouldn't be thinking in terms of time. We should only think of the present moment. I am, I am aware of myself now, so let me hold on to this self-awareness, this awareness I am, here and now. If we take care of each and every moment, then our self-attentiveness will be uh, continuous. So, let's not worry about time. Let's try to the extent possible from each moment to try and attend to ourselves. Of course, we won't succeed. We will, our attention will keep on being distracted by other things. By we're under the sway of our vasanas, we'll keep on going outwards. But we need to bring it back and try moment by moment to be self-attentive. That's the only practical thing. We cannot measure how long we are self-attentive because at the actual moment we are really self-attentive. There's no time. So we 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 uh, and the the nature of the mind because. As Bhagavan explains in verse 25 of Aludunapadu, what is the nature of this ego? This ego is a formless phantom or demon. And its very nature is Urupatriyundam, grasping form, it comes into existence. Urupatrinikam, grasping form, it stands or it endures. Urupatriundu Mikaongam, grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. Uruvitu Urupatram, leaving form, it grasps form. Uh, so the very nature of ego is to be constantly grasping form. But then he adds very important sentence, Tedinal Otumpidicum. If we uh, Tedinal literally means if seeking. If seeking, it takes flight. So what is to seek what? That means if we as ego seek our own reality. Seek to know who am I actually? What actually am I? In other words, we turn our attention back within to investigate ourselves. This ego will, autumpidicum uh, means it will, it will, it will take to running away. It'll, it'll take flight. It'll run away. It's because we seem to be ego only so long as we're looking outwards. When we're looking elsewhere, we seem to be ego. But if we look back within to, to try and find this ego, there's no such thing as, as ego to be found. Um, that's why sometimes when people used to ask Bhagavan, Bhagavan, why did this ego come into existence? How did this ego come into existence? Bhagavan would say, first you go and find that ego, and then bring the ego to me and we can find out, we can uh, consider how it came into existence. Because if we look for this ego, we will never find it because there's no such thing. We seem to be ego only when we're not looking at ourselves, when we're not attending to ourselves. When we attend to ourselves, there's no ego to be found. So the ego depends for its very existence on grasping form. That means holding on to things. It itself is formless. So all forms, all phenomena, of whether physical phenomena, mental phenomena, phenomena of any kind whatsoever, they are all things other than ourself. That is, as ego, we are the subject. All the forms are objects. So it's, ego cannot stand for a moment without grasping form. So it's the very nature of ourself as ego to grasp form. 
this is why we have very strong Vishaya Vasanas. The Vishaya Vasanas, Vishaya means uh, objects of phenomena. So what Bhagavan refers to in that verse as Uru, form, is what he, refer, he refers to as Vishaya when he talks about Vishaya Vasanas. So Vishaya Vasanas means our inclination to hold on to Vishayas, objects of phenomena. This is the very nature of ego. So inevitably, we will be swayed by our Vishaya Vasanas again and again. But if we persevere in this practice, trying to hold on to self-attentiveness more and more and more, we will thereby uh, weaken those Vishaya Vasanas and strengthen the Sat Vasana. Sat Vasana is the opposite of Vishaya Vasanas. Sat means being, existence, our own existence, our own being. So Sat is what is shining in us as I am. So our inclination or love to hold on to our own being and thereby to be as we actually are, that is called Sat Vasana. So the more we practice this self-attentiveness, the more the Sat Vasana will be strengthened and the Vishaya Vasanas will be weakened. So gradually, gradually, we will develop more and more love to uh, uh, attend only to ourselves. Um, so the, the, the best, if we want to gain the love to attend to ourselves, the most effective way to do so is to try more and more and more to attend to ourselves. Of course, we all fail in this time and time again. But the only solution to our failure is to keep on trying. And we shouldn't be disheartened by our failure. It is sometimes said, the road to success is paved in failure. If you've never failed, that means you've never tried. So we shouldn't be disheartened by our failure. The fact we are failing means that at least we're trying. If we weren't trying, we wouldn't be failing. So the important thing is to keep on trying more and more and more doesn't matter however many times we fail, so long as we are, we are faithful in our attempt to continue trying to hold on to self-attentiveness, we will surely succeed. Because ultimately, this battle going on in our own will between our Satvasana, which is now currently very, very weak, and our Vishayavasanas, which seem to be so strong, this battle is ultimately being fought by grace. It is Bhagavan's grace alone that has planted the seed of uh, Satvasana in our heart. So Bhagavan is such a gardener, if he plants a seed, he will, he will, uh, he will nurture that seed until it grows into a big plant. So Bhagavan, we, we may be constantly failing in our efforts. Bhagavan is relentless. His grace is relentless. So his grace will surely win. This, this is what he refers to in Akshramlai as Aropuratam. Hokum varavumil poduvelinil aropura tankataranachala. That means Aranachala, show me this warfare of grace, but is fought in the common space, the open space of pure awareness, in which there's no coming and going. So we all have to go through this battle. So Bhagavan prays to Aranyaka, show me this battle. Don't let this battle come to an end. Show me this battle to it. The implication is show me this battle to its very conclusion. So in, in other words, keep, uh, keep on 
um, uh, keep on giving me the love to try more and more and more to be self-attentive. His grace is always doing that. So if we, by trying to be self-attentive, we are yielding ourselves to his grace. We are surrendering to his grace. And the more we surrender to his grace, the more we will be taken over by grace. Now we are under the sway of our vishayabhasanas. Our aim is to come under the sway of uh, his grace. This is what Bhagavan refers to. He, there's a verb in Tamil, al, al vadu. That means um, coming under the um, coming under the control of, coming under the charge of. Um, but it's a it's a very beautiful word because it, it conveys not only um, the meaning of controlling but also caring for. So we Bhagavan takes possession of us. Bhagavan brings us up, um, uh, takes control of us, takes charge of us. That's the best way of putting it. Takes charge. Like if if a if a child is orphaned, a loving relative will take charge of it. What they what you mean when you say someone takes charge of a child, they they take responsibility for that child. They take responsibility for caring for that child, for loving for that child, for uh, raising that child, keeping that child, uh, showing that child a good path in life and everything. That is what is meant by taking charge. So Bhagavan, in so many verses of Aksharamala, he's praying to Aranachara to take charge. For example, in one verse he says, Like a mother, it is your duty to bestow your grace on me and take... It is your duty as a mother, bestowing your grace on me, to take taking charge of me, bestowing your grace upon me. So, that is the duty of Arunachala. That is the duty of Bhagavan. <laughs> <laughs> to take charge of us. But we must willingly allow him to take charge of us. If we keep on going outwards, we are we are surrendering ourselves to our bhasanas rather than surrendering ourselves to his grace. So it's for us to surrender ourselves to his grace, but it's for his grace to give us the love to surrender to his grace. So ultimately, as Bhagavan said, grace is the beginning, the middle, and the end. It is grace that starts us on this path. It is grace that sows this seed of satvasana in our heart. It is grace that draws us to Bhagavan's path, makes us interested in following his path. It is grace that guides us along this path. And finally, it is grace that will swallow us. That's what Bhagavan means by saying grace is the beginning, the middle, and the end. So ultimately, it's all the work of grace. But we... It, we have the responsibility to yield ourselves to grace, and we can yield ourselves to grace most effectively by turning our attention within. Because His grace is always pulling our attention within. When we are going outward, we are resisting that inward pull. When we turn back within, we are submitting ourselves, surrendering ourselves to that inward pull. So the grace will play its part. But the more we cooperate with grace, the quicker the, the whole process will be finished. Regarding other, other things that we can do to support us on this path, in my experience, the greatest support on this path 
is Bhagavan's own words. Bhagavan, fortunately for us, Bhagavan has written the core principles of his teachings in his own works, works such as Anmavide, Upadesha Undia, Uludu Napatu, Apalapatu, Ekamapanchakam, Nana, um, many of the verse of uh, Uludu Napadu and Bandam, and most importantly in Arunachya Stutipanchakam, particularly in uh, Aksharamalai, because Aksharamalai is representing the actual, all that he teaches us in in Upadeshundia, Uludunapdu, Amabide, how it is when we actually apply, try to apply this in practice, that is what he teaches us in, um, in Aksharamlai. What is the, the nitty gritty of the actual practice? That is, when we actually try to apply all that Bhagavan has taught us, when we try to apply it in practice, we come up against one big obstacle in the form of our own Vishayabhasanas, our own liking to go outwards. So, how to deal with these Vishayabhasanas? That is what Bhagavan is teaching us in a very subtle and deep way in Aksharamlai. And also in the other uh, hymns of uh, Arunachas Tutipanchakam. So all of Bhagavan's works are a tremendous aid to us in this path. So keeping our mind dwelling upon his works, that is, reading his works is called Sravana. Thinking deeply about his works, what the hell, that in making sense of them, understanding what he's trying to teach us through his words, that is called Manana. And most important of all is Nidityasana, actually putting it into practice. Nidityasana means deep contemplation. That means contemplation, or that is Swarupa Dhyana, contemplation on our own real nature. So the greatest aid to Nidityasana is Sravana and Manana. By reading Bhagavan's works and thinking about his, his teachings constantly, that is the best external satsanga we can have. But the best satsanga of all, as Bhagavan said, sat means being. So atma sangha is the best satsanga. That means turning our attention within and being as we are, that is the best satsanga. But when our mind comes outwards, the second best satsanga is to keep our mind soaking in Bhagavan's teachings, reading them, thinking about them, contemplating them, because his teachings are constantly urging us to turn back within. So the greatest support and encouragement in following this path, we will get by, um, by uh, whenever our mind comes outward, we should keep it dwelling on Bhagavan's teachings in order to encourage us to go back within. That is the very purpose of Sravana Manana, is to encourage us in our Nidityasana. So, Sravana and Manana are useful to the extent to which they encourage us to put it into practice. So, this is the greatest aid. No other practices or um, nothing else is needed. So long as we are, we are faithful to Bhagavan's teachings, keep our mind dwelling on his teaching. Though we may have read these, these works hundred thousand, ten thousand times, doesn't matter. The more we keep our mind dwelling on these, and the more we allow these Bhagavan's words to encourage us to turn within, the more 
clarity we will get and the more deeply we will understand the significance and implication of the words here, uh, his, his own words in these works. So basically, I mean, in Vedanta, I mean, in Advaita, this is the tradition, but Sravana, Manana, Niti, Tiasana, this is the path to moksha. So if we express it in terms of Bhagavan's teaching, from Nidityasana is this practice of self-investigation and self-surrender. But Sravana, Manana, but support this practice as dwelling on Bhagavan's teachings. Uh, once again, on behalf of all the devotees and Raman Kendra Delhi, sir, a very warm thank you yes. for your guidance. And uh, well, as, as always... All thanks to Bhagavan, because I'm just pointing out what Bhagavan has taught us. And um, it is it is only by his grace that I have the love to, to do so. So everything is his grace. His grace is the beginning, sure. the middle and the end. So all thanks only to Bhagavan.